You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. God. Thanks be to God. So we're going to spend the rest of our time coming back uh, to Genesis. Um, I do want to say this before I get there, though, that I really hope that what we've shared this morning is makes our 20th anniversary celebration that much more meaningful, because on that day, Christopher and I will share the message. I get the chance to talk a little bit more about where we've come from and Christopher gets to share where we're headed, so it's going to be a really special day. I hope you'll be there. I hope you'll invite others to join us. It's a great chance to bring people in on the ground floor of a new thing. Way back before Bob Beckwith uh, became the director of the UGA Wesley Foundation, Tom Tanner was the director of the UGA Wesley Foundation. He's the guy who changed the culture of that ministry by introducing the Holy Spirit students. And the Holy Spirit took a pretty anemic cancer, uh, campus ministry and turned it into uh, one of the premier campus ministries in the country. I was on the board of the UGA Wesley Foundation when Tom made the decision to leave so he could help start a new church in North Atlanta where he still is. I remember that that being a very big deal. A lot of people wondered about the future of Wesley without Tom. It's probably why I especially remember the day Tom walked into a board meeting to make his announcement. Someone asked how he could leave when things were going so well. What, what if it all falls apart? And Tom said this. He said, if it all falls apart when I leave, we've done it wrong. I've always remembered that. Such a good line. Such good wisdom. If it all falls apart when we leave, I've done it wrong. I also remember the day that we were serving on the hiring community, uh, committee of the board when we, when we received Bob Beckwith's resume. And Bob was part of my call story. So when I got his resume in the stack, I knew Wesley was going to be okay. 
and Bob has taken it so much further during his time there. He's been there about 23, 24 years now. And I just watch while God has used Bob. And I'm thinking about that story this morning, not just because of the announcement we made, but because this morning's story in Genesis, there's a theme building in this story. It has to do with who gets the credit. And that theme begins way back in Genesis chapter 3. So let's just review so we can draw lines between the stories. The, the short end of Genesis 3 is that humans made a decision to know things apart from God. It was a control thing. And this tendency to control the process and determine our own definitions of right and wrong, that's been a human tendency ever since. Humans, people, have a thing for control. You know people who have a thing for control, right? You know them. We just do. Humans love control, and that's the moral of Genesis 3. So now we can draw a pretty straight line from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6 and the story of Noah and the ark. God has, uh, has had about all he can take of humans' need for control, a need that's resulted in the whole world drowning, literally drowning in evil. So he decides to clean things up knowing, of course, that on the other side of this, there will still be free will and, and an imperfect humanity to abuse it, and so there will still be a need. There will also be a need for grace. And that grace came in the form of a covenant established between God and the survivors of the flood. It was a covenant built on God's promise. Remember this from last week? His never-again promise to always be for us, not against us. So we can draw a straight line from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6, and now we can also draw another line from Genesis 6 to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. This story takes, asks the same question of us that Genesis 3 asked of us and that Genesis 6 asks at the, at the flood. It's, it's, and here it is again in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. The question is, who gets to be Lord? In the story of the Tower of Babel, this question shows up in stark relief. And if the answer is us. If it's all built on us, we've done it wrong. So let's start by looking at these two chapters. Genesis 10, Genesis 11 are structured because how this is laid out is really big. Genesis chapter 10 is a genealogy, a list of generations that gets us from Noah's children to a guy named Nimrod. Don't you love that name? Who has a serious desire to build a kingdom for himself. And then Genesis 11, beginning with verse 10, after what John has, uh, sorry, what uh, Don has just read, um, there's another genealogy that takes you through the end of chapter 11. And, and this is the fifth genealogy in Genesis. We're just in chapter 11, so we're catching on that, that, that Genesis uses genealogies to structure itself and to make transitions. Every time there's a transition, you see another genealogy. So the genealogy in Genesis um, 11 gets us from Noah's son, Shem, all the way to Abram, who we know as Abraham, the man with whom God will establish a covenant community. And now all of that, I wanted to tell you all that because sitting right in the middle of these two genealogies, right in the middle, is the story of the building of the Tower of Babel. So the story is bookended by generations of people who are carrying forward the story of God. And what I hear in this 
is that while people are busy building reputations and names for themselves and images they can own, God is busy envisioning the leaders and the covenants and the communities he will build in the generations to come. Or maybe a better way to say that is, while we are building monuments, God is building movements. People build monuments. God builds movements. So on either side of the story of the Tower of Babel, we see that God is building a people and a movement toward a covenant that will convey wholeness and holiness, which means that what might seem like destruction and mayhem is actually the patient and powerful building of a family that will carry forward the plans and purposes of God. Look at uh, Genesis 11, verse 1. Just those first two verses, I want to step on them just for a second, and then we'll get into the real heart of this story. Genesis 11.1 mentions a common language. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So that, that common language, I only want to mention this because we've, we've just read about a lot of nations and their own, with their own languages. That comes before this story. That reminds us that the Bible is not written in the form of a modern historical account. The Spirit has structured the story of God with other goals in mind. So here, in this verse, we notice that in the middle of a bad decision, the people were actually speaking a common language. They were all on the same page while they were falling off a cliff. <laughs> so the moral of that story is that just because everybody agrees doesn't, just because everybody agrees doesn't make it a good idea. Look at verse 3. They said to each other, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. You need to underline that. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Underline that. It's huge. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This is a human-made mountain. It's called a ziggurat. In, in ancient times, th these would be built, and they were built with bricks and mortar, which distinguishes them from the Ebenezers that were built with stone when people would stop along the way and say, we need to stop and just thank God right here because he's been good to us. And, 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 those, and those, they're called Ebenezers or, 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 or little um, altars on the way. Those would be built with with, article, with stone, something that comes from creation, as if to say that everything you do, everything you have, everything you are, God, it's yours. It's all yours. But here are people building with bricks and mortar. And so they build this tower to get God to come down and make that place his sacred space. That's the point of it in ancient times. It was to connect the people to their gods, to somehow get their gods to come down and, and meet with them. So this is the people of Israel establishing sacred space where God would be worshipped, but on their turf, on their terms. Do you hear how wrong that is? So now we've taken Genesis 3 to another level. Not only are we rebelling against God, telling him we can do it ourselves, which got us kicked out of the garden, now we're saying... We don't really like your garden anyway. We'll make our own space over here. And you have to come to our sacred space. And now, instead of 
calling on his name, we're actually asking God to help us make a name for ourselves. How arrogant is that? Do you hear the problem in their reasoning? Let's make a name for ourselves. That's a huge tell. Sandra Richter has written some amazing stuff about what they call name theology in the Old Testament. If you're curious about it, you can hear her talk about it on The Art of Holiness. Just search for Sandra Richter on our podcast. She does an extraordinary job of kind of making it simple enough for me to understand. It's so rich and so deep, and I don't understand all of it. But it is critical to understanding the Old Testament, name theology. It isn't just that God wants to elbow his way in, in at the table of humanity. No, actually, God wants his presence to have a home among his people, a central place, and he wants his name to be rightly recognized as actually having power. Not your name, his name. So we'll hear it often that God wants to build a place for his people and cause his name to dwell there. God's name and God's presence together, that's what will dwell in God's temple. It's both name and presence. So when the people say they want to build a thing in a place they choose so they can make a name for themselves, well, that's, that's bigger than just unholy ambition. That's stealing from God. That's deciding who gets to be Lord, and he's not it. Here's the thing about God's name. God's name has power. Do you believe that? God's name has authority. God's name, all by itself, can change things. God's name repels evil. So making a name for myself it's not just stealing from the name that is above all names. It's actually replacing something with power with something that has no power at all. Go out there in the world and say the name Carolyn Moore and see how far it gets you. Here's the thing about God's sacred space. It's God's space, not mine. 21 times in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a reference to the place Yahweh your God will choose. Who chooses it? God. Who does not choose it? You. So one place for one God who has one name, the place where his name will dwell. So this tower was people building a name for themselves, choosing their legacy in a place they pick apart from God's will. And of course, it doesn't work. By the end of chapter 11, Abram has shown up on the scene. And through his story, we will meet the family that God will use to establish his covenant and his land and his tabernacle and his name. Ultimately, God will make his home with people but not on our terms, on his terms, with his name, not ours. Sacred space. And ultimately, God will choose the place, and it will be this place, his table, where his presence can be felt, can be received, can be honored. God will make space for his people. 
Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If that wasn't so, when I've not told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. You hear that? That's the mirror opposite of the Tower of Babel. Sacred space where Jesus is. And Paul will remind us that that space and that name find their home in Jesus himself. Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even Jesus understood that he served under the authority of the Father. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. I want you to circle that word. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. You hear that? It's God's high place, not mine. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the opposite of the grand Tower of Babel. It is the way of the cross. The way of the kingdom leads down. It's not built on egos or legacies or people who want to make a name for themselves. The kingdom is built with humble hearts and humble hands. And it is built to move when God moves. People build monuments. God builds movements. I just spent four days in Wilmore, and I was talking to students on the university side there's one street that goes down the middle of Wilmore. The university is on one side of the street. The seminary is on the other side of the street. I was with university students, undergraduates. This is where the outpouring happened last year. Maybe you remember that. Um, I've been there four times over the last few years. And on the whole, I've just found this group of students before the outpouring and after to be gentle and, and loving and faithful Students in Asbury get what it means to linger in the presence of God. Last week while I was there, I got to meet Zach Mirkrebs. Zach is 33 years old. He's now on staff at Asbury University. He coaches soccer and he meets with students for spiritual formation. But at the time, last year, that he spoke in chapel at Asbury, he was just a volunteer. And, and he spoke the day the outpouring broke out. It happened on February 8th, so it's almost a year ago, uh, next week, week after next. Zach told me his story. We got to sit down and visit for a little while. He was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home in Israel. His parents, his, his dad, his grandfather, both rabbis. His family moved to the United States when he was a child, when his father was called to serve in an Orthodox temple. And I'll, the short end of that is after they got here, things in their family fell apart in a dramatic way. The short end of, of Zach's story is that he was taken under the wing of his soccer coach in college. And, and the coach gently, quietly showed him the gospel. 
When Zach became a follower of Jesus, he was shunned by his family, no longer welcome in their home. And so he moved in with that coach's family. After coach, uh, sorry, after, after college, he married, he had three children. Three years ago, one of his kids died. So this 33-year-old man, shunned by his family, changed his religion. One of his children, his little kids died. To say that the last 13 years of Zach's life as a Christian have been hard is an understatement. He has been crushed and humbled. And that is the man who stood on February 8th and offered what he would say was an average message from his heart about repentance. And that was the day the Spirit fell in Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University. By the time it was over 16 days later, literally the whole world had its eyes on Asbury. And since then, something like 100 teams of students have been requested to go and share their testimony of what the outpouring was like for them, to, to, to talk about what God did among them. And Zach has traveled extensively. Remember I told you he's from Israel, and in the last year he's been invited back to Israel, his home country, three times. And on one of those trips, he was invited to pray with Netanyahu. He was also invited to pray with a group of leaders from the House of Representatives in Japan. I mean, Japan is like 0.2% Christian. And yet there's some, there were some people there who invited him to pray with leaders in Japan. From what I can tell, there is no monument building going on there. There's no one trying to make a name for themselves. There's just people who are blown away by the power of God who are now trying their best to keep up with him as he moves. In almost every conversation I had last week, people who were there last year were weeping when they, as they talked about what happened when God moved. I asked Zach what lesson he learned from his experience and he said one word, really, humility. And he said, when I go out now and I speak to people, this is the message I take. God honors humility. Which is the answer to the Tower of Babel. God looks for people who honor his name. Who let him pick the space. Who chase after God when he moves. God honors humility. People build monuments. God builds movements. And if that's what God does, and if that's what God honors, then that's what we ought to do. Let's chase the great moves of God. Let's look to the emerging generations just like God does with great hope and expectation that each generation will take us further not it will take us further down the road toward and closer to the kingdom. On the night Jesus gave himself up for us, he was a picture of humility. He took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his followers. And he said this, this is how it's done, this. It's to be broken and blessed for the sake of kingdom purposes. 
So as often as you eat from this loaf, remember me. Remember how I did it. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his Father in heaven for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from this cup, remember me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we offer ourselves, God, in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice. In union with the, with the an understanding that there is a mystery to this faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Lord, not as we would, but as you would. Will you come and meet us here? Be in these gifts of bread and wine and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. And redeem us, God, for the work of sharing your name with a lost and hurting world. Make us one, God, one with a common Christ-centered purpose. And Lord, we pray that you would make us one with each other and with you and with your mission to the world until you come again in your final victory and we feast at your heavenly banquet table. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, with your Holy Spirit and your holy church. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.